Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. God has been good to us. It's been six months since our church opened its doors. Six months, can you believe that? Like six months ago, none of this existed. And now because of Jesus and and what Jesus has done and because of you and what God has called us together to accomplish in the city every single week, people meet Jesus. Every single week, people walk in here, they find hope, they find a family, they get connected into the community. And for me, that never gets old. And so what we have the opportunity to do, because we are a young church, what we have the opportunity to do, you sitting here, coming together, you have the opportunity to lay the foundations of what will be legacies of lives changed forever. Because the good news is Jesus still builds his church. Amen? Amen. Jesus builds his church and he does so by using ordinary people just like you and me. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that he calls all of us together. And so what we'll be looking at over the next four weeks as we kick off our new series, Called Together, we're going to be looking at what it means for us to live the authentic Christian life. And so in doing so, there are certain values, certain pillars that we will cover so that way we can see in all of these, they will culminate into lifelong discipleship. They will cultivate lifelong pursuit after Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we do so together. And so this is what we'll be hitting on in these major rhythms or themes of the authentic Christian life, one being worship. And that's going to be our subject and topic today. We're going to look at what it means to worship Jesus. Next week, we'll do community that we live together. We'll do mission, and then we'll do serving. And these are to be the foundations of what we do as a church. And so before we get started, let's pray. Let's open up the word in prayer and go to the Lord because that's who it's all about anyway. So Heavenly Father, we come to you today to worship you because you are glorious, because you are magnificent, because you have sent your Son to save us. And in all of this, you have called us together to worship you, to celebrate you, to praise you. So Heavenly Father, we want to start off by recognizing today that we have not lived as we ought to. Lord, we have sinned, We have been separated from you in foolishness. We have worshiped not as we ought to. We have worshiped someone or something. We have made life about other things other than you. And so, Lord, we humbly acknowledge our our sin and shortcomings before you. We ask that the Holy Spirit will lead us into a right relationship with your son, Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would convict us of our sin. The Holy Spirit would, would bring us to the feet of the Father, so we might experience grace, mercy, and redemption. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Ashley and I, we love to go to Astros games. I I love baseball. I love uh, love everything. I grew up playing baseball. I played baseball um, through high school. I love everything, right? I love the crack of the bat. I love the the roar of the crowd. I love the smell of the grass. I love baseball. And Ashley loves me, so she also goes to games too. Um, I I love baseball. And and so uh, I more specifically love the Houston Astros because I hate myself. Okay, so like if you're an Astros fan, then you you know what I'm I'm talking about. Because every year, like this is our year. Maybe next year. Next year. Next year is our year. And so I love, I love baseball and I love going to games. Um, at the beginning of the summer, Ashley and I, we went to our first uh, baseball game of the year. And as we were at the game, you know, like we parked like a mile away because we, you know, I refused to pay for parking. And so it's in the summer, there's Texas heat, we're walking, we're melting, right? And this guy comes by on a rickshaw and he's like, hey, can I give you guys a ride? And this is the one time that I wish that I carried cash. And I'm like, no, uh, no, bro, I, I don't have any cash. Sorry, you know, I wish I could, best of luck. Um, and so we, we, we navigate our way to the park. And so we get into the park and it's just huge, right? It's huge. 300, 000, uh, 300, uh, $300 million building, 30,000 people, giant 
flat screen televisions. And it's, it's amazing. We get into the park and, and we start trying to find our seats. And, you know, we're broke, so we sit up in the third heaven. That's what Paul calls it. As we walk our way up, the only one sitting higher than us is Jesus. And so we're up in the nosebleed section and, and, and we're walking around. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's a strange phenomenon that when you go to like a ball game, right, then you notice that everybody dresses exactly the same. I mean, grown men wearing uniforms, right? And so like, everyone dresses the exact same. And ladies, you do it too because marketers and advertisers think the only way to get ladies interested in sports is to make everything pink, right? And so they sell you pink memorabilia. You know, I, I do it too, right? I still got my, my throwback jersey. So there I am dressed like everybody else, wearing my throwback jersey, spending all of my kids' tuition on hot dogs and nachos, and as I'm looking around, people are yelling, people are screaming, people are singing, people are crying because we're Astros fans. And I noticed something. It's, oh my God, I've joined a cult. This is a cult. This is a um, blue and orange rainbow cult, right? That's what it is. As we're screaming, I noticed there's a guy even dressed up like a fuzzy alien, okay? And, and so we've joined a cult. If you were to take someone from... Africa or India or an animistic society and you were to take them and you were to plop them down in the middle of Minute Maid Park or Reliant Stadium where the Texans play, they would think this is a worship experience. If you were to take someone from Jesus's day, say ancient Palestine, and you were to take them and you were to bring them into, and you, into the place, they'd say this is the largest religion in America. What do you call it? Sports. That's what we call it. And, 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 and Cowboys fans, you guys are the worst because you have a hole in the ceiling so God can watch you lose. So, <laughs> thus saith the Lord. So, so I started to think about it. That what would someone else think? You know, in, in, in other societies, they have their little huts with their little gods and we got big stadiums with bobbleheads. That's what we have. And so I want you to, to recognize that today, when we talk about worship, I want you to recognize that worship is not just, you know, it's not just what we believe, but worship is also what we do. That all of our life is an act of worship. That we're always worshiping someone or something. We're always continually pouring ourselves out. So worship is an all of life experience. And that's where we're going to be diving in today as we look at this subject of worship. And before we get started, there's a couple of things I, I want to set up for us. First is that worship is not um, just music, okay? So in the Christian subculture, we have what is called worship music. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's a little misleading. Now, worship encompasses music, but worship is so much more than just the songs that we sing, because all music, honest music rather, is worship. It's the continual outpouring of ourselves to find greater purpose. Secondly, what I want you to understand is that worship is not just an event. It's not just an event on Sundays. You know, when you come here and we worship, when you leave, you don't stop worshiping. Like all of our life, all of our existence is an act of worship. And thirdly, it's not just for the religious. It's not just for the Christian that all people worship, all people serve someone or something. We are constantly pouring ourselves out for something to fill us, to satisfy us, to give us the needs that we desire. And so it's not just for the Christian, even the non-Christian, we all worship someone or something. The question today is not, do I worship, but who and how will I worship? And so that's where we're going to be diving in today. So I got, I got some questions for you. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to look at this. And then we're, we're, going to, we're going to see just how glorious Jesus is. So we got some questions. If you will, turn with me to Romans 11, chapter 36. That's where we will get started today. If you can turn with me in your Bible, you can turn on your Bible. We'll also have the words up here on the screen today. So Romans eleven thirty-six. This is what he says. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, For from him and through him and to him, this being God, are all things. How many things? All things. Everything belongs to him. This means that all of our lives is to be lived under the submission of the lordship of Jesus. That it's not just church on Sunday, work on Monday. It's not just Tuesday, Thursday classes, Friday night with my friends. That 
all of my life would be lived under the lordship and the glory of Jesus. He goes on, he says, to him be the glory forever. Glory. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about this word here, glory. He says, forever, amen. Forever? That's a long time. Amen says, yes, Lord, you have spoken and I agree. He says in verse, in chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. As he says, brothers, this includes all of us. This includes everyone together. He's including the, the, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the Latino, the Republicans, the Democrats, the, 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 the men and the women. He's calling us all together. And he says for us as a family, this is where we get the sermon series called together, that God has called us all together and he has made us one. He refers to us as brothers. What would it look like for the church to be like a family? He says, brothers, by the mercies of God, Christians, we are people who understand firsthand the mercies of God, the mercies of God that we were separated from God in our sins, that we were once children of darkness, but by God's mercy, by God's grace, by God's redemption, he has brought us from darkness into the light. So Christians are one who know firsthand the mercies of the Father. He goes on to tell us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we're going to talk about today. Glory and sacrifice. This is to be holy and acceptable to God. This means that it's supposed to honor God. Not not acceptable to to culture, not acceptable to opinions, acceptable to subjections or friends or family, but to be acceptable and holy to God. A good question you can ask when you're making a decision is, is this holy and acceptable to God? So we are to live to God. And he says, by doing so, this is your spiritual act of worship. There's our word today, worship. So this is what we're going to talk about. Worship is glory and sacrifice. If we put it all together, we'll see that worship is glory and sacrifice. Glory that is the thing that we, we, we hold to the highest esteem, that we see as preeminence, that we see that we, we put all of our passions in, we put all prestige upon it. So what is in the position of glory for our lives? It's the highest thing, what is most exalted, our deepest desires, the things that we hold most dearly. That is the thing for us that is in place of glory. And because we are weak and finite beings, and we only have so many resources, we, can, we only earn so many dollars, we only live so many days, what happens is that the thing that we hold in glory, we therefore make sacrifices for. So that way we can enjoy it. You say, well, I can't do that because I work Monday through Friday, nine to five. You say, like, I can't go there because I don't, I don't have enough money, or I'm not going to support these organizations because they don't best fit my passions. And so we all make decisions based on the thing that we esteem to be most glorious. And they show up all the time in our lives. We make these types of decisions on the daily. Okay, like they show up in our emails. They show up on our calendars. They show up in our budgets and our relationships, who we surround our lives with. And so we make all of these decisions all the time. So every decision that we make essentially is a worship decision. So we we determine, is this where I'm going to find my most value? Is this going to meet my passions? Is this going to meet my pleasures? Is this going to help me accomplish the things that I desire? So all of us are by nature worshipers. We all worship someone or something. Remember, it's not just a religious act. And so This plays out for the Christian and the non-Christian alike. So maybe today you're in the room and you're coming and you're wanting to check out, you know, what this Jesus stuff is all about. You're more of a a skeptic. You're standing at the fence of Christianity, kind of peering in on the other side. And you want to understand. And you would say to me today, you say, but Byron, I I don't really worship. I would submit to you that yes, yes you do. It's just that you don't worship Jesus. Because everyone worships something or someone. It's in the very nature of us as humans. We can trace this all the way back to the origins of of, of all of creation. So before the universe began, before an eternity passed, there was God, okay? So there was God. He existed perfectly eternal within himself. 
We know this as the doctrine of the Trinity. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And within the Trinity, they are perfectly co-equal and they are perfect in their nature, which is being worship. And so God the Father, he glorifies the Son, Jesus. Jesus, in return, glorifies the Father, worships the Father. The Father, the Son together send the Spirit who points us to the Father to worship. And so within the very nature and essence and character of God is worship. So some people would say that God made the universe, God made you and I, because he was lonely. Not true. Because within him there is perfect relationship, perfect submission, adoration, and glory. Some people would say that God made us because he was narcissistic. Some people say that God made us because he needed validation. That's also not true. Because God is perfectly satisfied within himself. And so when God made us, what he did was he made us to be his image bearers. So as image bearers of God, you and I and everyone live is made in the image of God. So as we are made in the very nature and image of God, we too are worshipers by design. That we are always pouring ourselves out to find passion, to find purpose, to find fulfillment in someone or something. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. And so we are by nature worshipers. And we can follow this thread even further into the garden. As God made Adam and Eve and our first parents, he did so in the likeness of God. And so they lived in fellowship with God and with one another in perfect harmony within nature. And then the evil one comes in. And as the evil one comes in, what he does is he gets them to believe a lie. He says, if you eat this, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be what? Like God. See, sin is so sneaky because what it does is, is it takes 95% of the truth and it makes it 100% of a lie. Because if you think about it, let's really, let's, let's think about it for a sec. If you eat this, you'll be like God. What's the problem? They were already like God. They were already like God. And so the evil one gets them and he says, trade your identity for idolatry. That's what he does. He gets us to trade our identity for idolatry. That's what sin is. And, and it's so sneaky. It's just, just a little bit of the truth makes it an entire lie. And so from that moment forward, that's all we do is trade our identity for idolatry. That's all that we do is worship creation rather than the creator. And so what we've done is, is we've taken the image of God and we've shattered it and we've put it back together in the image of man. And so we continue to pour ourselves out looking for something to fulfill us when being connected to God, like in the garden, is the only way we can be satisfied. And so we see this and the question being, what is idolatry? Paul writes this in Romans chapter one. He says this, in Romans chapter one, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So they became futile in their thinking and foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. There's our word. They exchanged the glory. So it was in possession of them, the glory of God for the immortal, uh, the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. And so when we think about idolatry, typically what we think is, is animistic cultures, places in India, places in Africa with their little huts, their little shrines that when they get together, everyone's facing in the same direction and they're worshiping these idols. But that's not always the case. In some of our lives, we can, we can walk into someone's house and all the chairs are facing in the same direction. And what are they facing? A little God with a cord on the back. It's flat screen television. So all of our lives, we're, we're still facing in the same direction. We're continually just pouring ourselves out for someone or something. And so idolatry is not just, not, not just little crafted idols made by hands, but idolatry is this, is anything that we elevate above God by making glory and sacrifices to that's what idolatry is. It's anything that we elevate above God and make sacrifices to. And what the lie is, is we think that this is what's going to make us happy. The lie is like, I need this. I have to have this. If I don't get this, I will never be satisfied. I will never be fulfilled. I have to have it. I have to make it mine. 
And it's a lie. It's all a lie. And what it does is it just gets us to trade over and over and over again throughout the course of all of our lives. Identity made in God's image for idolatry. Something made in the image of others. Let me give you a few examples of things that I have noticed in my own life and in culture. So remember, worship is glory and sacrifice. Okay, and identity is determined by our idolatry. So Paul says this in the book of Philippians. He has a line in there. He says that for some people, their God is their stomach. And you think, that's strange. That's weird. Their God is their stomach? But really, let's just think about it. If you glory in food, then what do you do? You make sacrifices. If you glory in food, then you think about it all the time. You think about food all the time. When am I going to eat? When is he going to stop talking? When can I go get lunch? What am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? If all you do is think about food, then you have a problem. And so when you glory in food, you also make sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices do you make if food is your God? Well, you sacrifice your time, right? All the time spent eating and walking the grocery store, prepping, cooking food, sharing food porn on Facebook, sitting at the table, waiting 30 minutes for the college kids to stop flirting in the back so they can come and take your order. You, you, you give of your time, right? What else do you, you sacrifice money. It's expensive. Eating out 10 times a week, it adds up, right? Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, Olive Garden, right? It all adds up. What else do you sacrifice? You sacrifice your health, high cholesterol, diabetes, blood sugar, right? You sacrifice lots of things if food is your God. And what you do when you glory in it, so you, you go to a restaurant, and for you, that is like your church, okay? And then you sit down, and the buffet is the Lord's table. And you go to the Lord's table, and you receive. You even have a serve team that shows up at 8 a.m. to set up the whole thing for you. So you can go in, and you can worship the God of food, and then you can go home. And as you do, you think, this is going to make me happy. He's like, oh, this is going to make me so happy. And it does. It really, it really does, okay? It does for an hour until the processed sugar, the, the, all, all the GMOs, you know, go off. And then you're, you're, an hour later, your God's hungry again. And so, praise the Lord, pass the butter. What? <laughs> so you glory in food. You say, Byron, my, my problem's not so much food. I might come here and say, like, Byron, um, my problem is, is drinking. Like, I am an alcoholic. So for you, alcohol is in the position of, of glory. And I would say to you, hmm, probably not. Probably not. See, you don't have a problem with alcohol. You have a worship problem that manifests itself with alcohol. And that's what it is. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worship problem that is manifesting itself with something other than. And so you're giving of your glory and you're making sacrifices to the God of alcohol. And, and I, I, I see this all the time. People come up to me and say, Byron, I have this problem. And, and what we need to really understand is that, is that the problem is in the heart. The problem is that I'm trusting in something to be my savior other than Jesus. So when I'm happy, I grab a drink. I'm in a missional community with Jose Cuervo and Jack Daniels. And so when, I, when I'm sad, I run to the bottle. When I'm happy, I grab a drink. My whole mission is to get lit. Like, that's what I live for. And so if I'm with friends, it's a celebration. If I'm sad, it's a consultation. And so you're trusting in that to be your satisfaction. It's not an alcohol problem. The truth being is that it's really just a, a worship problem. And if you understand this, this will allow you to and avail you to live life differently. See, we, I work on something that's called a worship model. So it's uh, so alcohol, sex, food, shopping, all of those things, those are, those are the fruit on the trees, okay? But what we have to do, and what worship is, is we have to get to the root. Okay, that's the fruit on display. But we need to do is we need to get to the root because you can pull weeds and you can chop off branches all day, but if you don't get the root, then the problem is going to remain, and so worship is about getting down to the root of our idolatry. And if you understand this, this will change everything because it stops being so much like, I got to change the way I'm living. The question is, I got to change the way I'm worshiping. So the question isn't, do I worship? But who and how will I worship? And so all of our lives, even if you're a Christian, 
okay? All of your life, you're going to be digging out idols, okay? You say, Jesus is God. In all of your life, you're going to find places of your heart where while you may believe Jesus is God, there's place in your heart where Jesus is not Lord. And discipleship is submitting all of our life under the lordship of Jesus. And so for all of our life, you're going to be 80 and you're going to be thinking like, Jesus, you're still working on that? Yep. We know this is the doctrine of sanctification. It is an ongoing process of God making you holy. It's going to take all of your life. And all of your life is going to be journeying with Jesus and he's going to be walking with you, before you, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he's going to be looking at you and he's saying, I want that. That's the Christian life. And it culminates from heart of worship. And so all of our lives, we're going to be digging up the idols. And so my job as your pastor is to help you dig out your idols. So let's do that. Take a deep breath, grab a shovel. Let's get started. Five ways to find your idols. Number one, who or what are my external idols? These are the things that exist outside of yourself. These are the things that we, we, we own, that we possess, and that determine the decisions that we make in our life. The question being, does Jesus determine how you live, what you say, the way that you live, or does someone or something? Let me give you an example. I love seeing young couples fall in love. I just love seeing young couples fall in love. And, and, and everyone around them feels uncomfortable, but it's cute. Really, it's cute. They make everyone else like, uh, but I love seeing young couples fall in love. And they start spending all of their time together. The guy spends all of his time with the girl. They start falling in love. And I, I started thinking about this this week. And I asked Ashley, I said, do you remember what it was like when, when we started dating? Do you remember what it was like when, when we fell in love? By God's grace, uh, she stayed with me for 11 years. And by God's grace, we got 60 more. So um, do you remember what it was like when, when we first fell in love? Now, I lived here. Ashley lived in Houston. I worked a labor job. I was in college full time. And when I would get off, I would drive to Houston to pick her up and to take her out on dates, go to the movies, go for dinner. And then I would leave her house at 2 a.m. and drive all the way back. I'd go to class, get up, do the same thing every day because we were young, we were dumb, we were in love. We still are, just not as young. And, and so I was thinking about this and, and me and Ashley have the same story. Okay, and, and so say this couple also is Christians. Now I can tell real fast when the relationship moves to being Christ-centered to self-centered. Because what happens is, is they, they start glorying in each other and they begin to make sacrifices to each other. So they, it starts off by the guy, it's always the guy, sacrifices, he shucks responsibility, he, he ignores accountability, and then he refuses to live in community. Everything comes all about the girl. We lose our friends, we spend all of our finances, so that way we can get this girl to love us. And so when the guys come to him and say, hey, tell me about your relationship, they don't want to talk about it because guys, let's be honest, we don't like talking about our gods. And so the guy begins to worship the girl and the girl in return begins to worship the guy. The relationship has moved from Christ-centered to self-centered. And when this happens, what we do is that we make sacrifices. The sacrifice is being things like holiness and chastity and purity because this is about the same time that they start sleeping together. I know this pattern because I am prototypical of the pattern. This is how me and Ashley spent the first two years of our relationships. And I would say, I wanted Ashley to to love God, but Ashley couldn't worship God if she's worshiping me first. I couldn't point her to God if she's worshiping me. I began to worship her as my God and it separated me from the growth that God had for us. And so there was a hard decision, but it was a good decision for us to lay it down and to place God first and honor him by living as sacrifices towards him. And truth is, God honored that. He honored that. He saw that. He blessed that. And in that year before we got married, our love and relationship grew because it wasn't about her. It was about Jesus. And I know the pattern because I'm prototypical of this pattern. And you say, you know, Byron, maybe it's, it's not a relationship. Maybe it's not one another. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's work. So work can also be an external idol. 
So you, you want to spend time with your family, but you can't because the phone's always ringing. You, you want to go to church, but you're always on call, right? You're hooked up to a laptop, to your iPad, to your iPhone. Somebody's always emailing you. Somebody's always calling you. You can't Sabbath. You can't rest. You can't vacation. You can't spend time with the kiddos because the, the job has become your, your God and your God is always calling you. And so maybe you're thinking, but Byron, you know, um, I know, let me say this, I know and I understand that there are seasons of life where things pick up. I understand that there are seasons in life where, where, where you're in college, you're taking 18 hours, and it's just a lot. I understand that there's seasons of life when, when, when love needs to be nurtured. I understand that there are seasons in life where you have to go through a lot of stuff at work. I have a job like that. But if your job, if your relationships, if your hobbies, if they prevent you from being obedient to Jesus, they got to go. They got to go. There are other boys, okay? Do you know that? There are other boys. There are other jobs. So we find a, find a partner, or we find a job that avails us to be obedient to Jesus. And, and so and let me hit this one time. It's not in my notes, but I just want to say this. For you singles out there, I've been hearing this a lot. There is this false idea that someone else completes you, okay? It comes from a platonic um, philosophy that you have another half somewhere. That's not true. The only thing that will complete you is Jesus. A partner, a spouse, they are to complement you, to push you forward, to be obedient to Jesus. That's what they're there for. Not to complete you. So the the thing is, you say, this will complete me. No, it won't. Which moves us to our next point. Who or what are my ex- internal idols? What are my internal idols? These are the things that live inside of myself. If I could only get this, then I will finally be happy. Right? That's our internal idol. I will never be satisfied. I'm after a constant pursuit of this. If I just get this, then all of my life will work. Some of you say, I, I want a boyfriend. I don't want a boyfriend. Maybe you want a boyfriend. <laughs> Say, if I could only get a boyfriend, then everything's going to be perfect. Guys, it's the same. You think, if I could just get the girl, then everything is going to work out right. And then you get the guy, you get the girl, and then it becomes, if only they would propose. If they would just put a ring on it, then, then everything would be great. And then you're engaged. And then it's if, can they, will they marry me when we get married, right? And then it becomes two people, sinners living in the same house together. And they're selfish and they fight and they argue because that's, when you get two sinners house, it's complicated, right? And then so it becomes, if only we could have kids, then everything's going to work out. So then you, you, you get the kid and you realize they're messy. They scream. They cost a lot of money, right? They grow up, they break your heart, they rebel, they move out. And then you're left in the same process. It's a cycle that repeats over and over again. Hakuna Matata, baby. And that's life, right? And so the problem with internal idols is that, is that, is that they always let you down. It's, there's always something else. They keep moving the goalposts on you because enough is never enough. It's like a stick and a carrot. You're chasing after these internal idols and they never will satisfy. When you get them, there's always something else. So that's what we do. We exchange one thing for the next and the next because they move the goalposts. So who or what are your internal idols? Number three, who or what is your mediator? Who is my mediator? In the book of Timothy, the Bible says that there's only one mediator between God and man. That is the person, Jesus Christ. So the question then is because we take our eyes off of Jesus and we place them on someone or something, something else becomes our mediator. And typically, this one plays out in very religious ways. Okay, did you know that Christians have idols too? Yeah, Christians have idols too. We call her Becky, okay? We call her Becky. It's the idol of contemporary Christian music. Her name's Becky. They don't write songs. If you listen on the radio, they don't write songs to God. They write songs to a false demon god named Becky. Don't believe me? Google it. Becky, Christian music. 
right? I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And so you turn on the radio and you listen. And like every song is like uh, some vague struggle. There's some water reference, right? You ever notice that? Is grace like an ocean or like a wave? I don't know. And so Becky is a 35-year-old mom. She drives a minivan. She's had a tough day. She just needs a little bit of encouragement. And so we write songs to Becky to let her know that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And that's good. I listen to contemporary Christian music too. But what happens is Becky or me listens to this song and we say, oh my gosh, this gets me so close to God. And so we come to church and we expect to hear that song. And when we don't play that song, the Spirit's not present. And what happens is our music, which is supposed to be a means of worship, has become a mediator, has become the mediator for us. I was serving at a church and our um, band was out of town. So we had, um, we, had, we had an acoustic set and someone came up to me after the gathering and said, I just really didn't enjoy worship today. I thought, are you kidding me? If you didn't enjoy worship, the problem's in you, not with us because you're worshiping the wrong thing. That we worship because God is glorious, not because the band is amazing. We worship because God is good. And so if there's a problem, the problem's within us because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We trusted in someone or something to be our mediator. It happens very religiously. So some people, it's this certain translation of the Bible. It's the only translation that we can read. For some people, it's their liturgy. Well, if you don't have the right liturgy, then God's not going to be present. See, this one manifests itself in very religious ways. Religious people, all we do is we call, we call sinners to come and repent. But we also need to call religious people to repent as well. And, and so, because religious people have the same idols. I remember Ashley and I, we went to Enchanted Rock. It's this huge monolith dome out in West Texas. And so we're driving out there and we're, we're, we're going, we're going to hike, we're going to camp out for the weekend and we're going to just explore nature, God's beauty, and we're going to pray a little. And so we get up to the top of the dome and there are just dozens of people just meditating and praying and worshiping, all sorts of hippie stuff. And they're up there because for them, this is a sacred place. It's a sacred place for them. So as we hiked and we walked around, we got back in the car, Ashley turned to me and she said, I thank God that, that, that we serve a God that is just as present with us in the car as he is on the mountaintop. Because the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit is with us everywhere, all the time, every day. We don't have temples because because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have sacred places. That's why we can take a place like Crockett Street where on Saturday night it's a bar and a music venue and we can come together and we can worship and turn it into a church because it's not the building or the place that's a church. It's us as a people called together. That's what makes us a church. When we are God's people gathered for God's purposes, serving, loving, each other, welcoming the outsider, preaching the gospel. That is what a church is. So if you want to be closer to Jesus, don't trust in others, trust in him. If you want to be closer to God, get closer to Jesus. He's the only mediator. So who or what is your mediator? Number four, who or what is my functional savior? This one typically turns out to be what is most obvious. What is my functional savior? For some people, their God is their wallet. For some people, God is their money, right? Jesus calls it mammon, okay? And so you don't need Jesus to save you because I have savings, right? And so like for some of you, it's, it's your money. I have to have it. I need more. I hoard it. I spend it. I blow it. I don't have any. I got to get some. Where do I get this God, right? And so for some of you, it's, it's your money, for some of us, it is, I see this happen all the time with parents and, and children, right? I see it with parents and children, parents living vicariously through their children and their accomplishments. And, and so they, they push their child. I've seen dads yell at kids for whiffing on t-ball, right? And so news break, like, your kid's probably not going pro, okay? Like, let them swing the bat. Let them swing for the fences. Let them miss. It's going to be okay, Parents living vicariously. I've seen kids, young kids, who are in school, who are so afraid to get a wrong answer that they don't even fill out the paper. Because parents push their kids so hard. You want to crush a kid? Make them your God. That's a lot of pressure to put on somebody who can barely tie their shoe. Because they become for you that place in the center of your life. And all of your life orbits around it as your functional savior. Savior. 
And I started thinking about this the other day as I was prepping for today. And I, I started crying at my dinner table. I started crying because I'm about to have a baby girl. I'll be a first time dad. And I started thinking about it. And I, I started crying because I know that, that she's going to break my heart. I know that she's going to sin. I know that she's going to, to lie to her mama. I know she's going to talk back to me. And I know that I'm going to raise my voice at her. I know I'm going to get frustrated. I know I'm going to let her down. I know that I will not always be faithful. But Jesus will always be faithful. And so if I can point her to Jesus, then I've done my job. And I started thinking about this, is that we can have functional saviors or we can have a faithful one. Which would you rather, a functional savior or a faithful one? That Jesus loves you. Amen. Jesus serves you. And Jesus is faithful to you. Amen. Number five, what good thing is now a God? What good thing is now a God? Now this is typically the most important um, because what it is, it's not bad things that take us away from Jesus. It's typically good things because Satan knows that he can't get you with a, with a bad thing, with a big lie. So what he does is he uses little ones. It's like baiting a hook, right? He baits a hook and we fall for it. Hook, line, sinker. Just like in the garden, trading identity for idolatry. It's just a, a little bit, a lot of truth and just a little bit of lie. And it's good things that become God's. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably saying like, but Byron, um, so what you're saying is sports are sin, um, food is sin, drinking is sin, eating is sin, sex is sin, kids are sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. So don't, don't get me on that, right? But what I'm saying is when you take a good thing and you elevate it to be your God, that's what idolatry is. Taking a good thing and elevating it to the position of glory in your life in which you make sacrifices for this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, so whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do it all for the glory. There's our word, the glory of God. There is a way for you to live a life of glory to Jesus. Jesus ate, Jesus drank. It's not that it's a sin. It's whenever it becomes the heart and the object and the definition of your existence, that's when it becomes an idol in your life. That there is a way for you to work as worship. When you're serving tables, it's worship to the Lord. When you're pushing papers, it's worship to the Lord. When you are living your life in the day in, day out, every day stuff of life, there is a way to live it in glory to Jesus. And that's by putting Jesus at the center of your heart, by putting Jesus at the center of your finances, at the center of your family, at the center of your faith. And when you put Jesus at the center, then you're allowed and enabled to enjoy the things rightly. Because they don't lord over you. You're, a, you're able to worship, to, to worship him and see him for all the gifts that he gives rather than to worship the gift itself. Amen. There is a way to live your life that glorifies God. Amen. The problem, the bad news, however, is that we can't. We can't do it. We've tried. We're just trading one thing for the next We've tried to do it. We are weak. We are finite. We are prone to sin and to doubt and to wander away from Jesus. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says that I, uh, the heart is an idol factory. So this is all we do is over and over and over again, through all of our life, is exchange the glory of God for the glory of others, worship creation over creator, and we're just changing idols, one after the next, after the next. It's an endless cycle. It's an endless loop. So the question is, how do we get out of this unceasing cycle of worship and idolatry? This brings us to Jesus. This brings us to Jesus. And so if you're new here at Redemption, I want to let you in on two inside jokes. There's two inside jokes in this church, if you're new here. Um, there, one, I always have a shoe untied. Okay, so if you see, say, see something, say something. I always have at least one shoe untied. The second being is how many times will Byron say Jesus in a sermon? And so somebody's in the back probably counting right now. So Jesus, 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 Jesus. There you go. Like here at Redemption, we believe in Jesus. We worship Jesus. We serve Jesus. For us here at Redemption, it's always and only and all because of Jesus. Okay, like, like I say Jesus a lot. Okay, because like, I don't just say God. I don't just say the Lord. And I 
definitely don't say the big guy upstairs. <laughs> people don't have a problem with you talking about God. Like, people believe in God, a God, higher power. Like, that's fine. People don't have a problem with that. But when you start talking about Jesus, things change. It gives it a whole different meaning. When you're explicit on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's only the gospel that saves, when you're explicit with that, because there is power in the name of Jesus. So here at Redemption, we talk about Jesus. And so how do we get out of this unceasing loop of worship? It's by giving our worship and glory and adoration to Jesus. That Jesus is the only one in the place of worship. That Jesus will be the only one as the object of glory. That Jesus will be the only one in the place to receive sacrifice. That Jesus is the only one to set you free. Because Jesus is the only one who saves. And it's Jesus all because of him. And if you were to take this book and you were to fast forward to the end of it in the book of Revelation, and John, the revelator, he catches a glimpse of Jesus in his ascended state. And all around him are all kings and kingdoms laying down their crowns before him. All around him is every tribe, tongue, nation, and angels. And they're bowing at the feet of Jesus. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the lamb who was slain. We worship Jesus. We serve Jesus. And Jesus saves us. And Jesus serves us. He sets us free from this unceasing loop of idolatry. And that is where all of our passions and purpose and pleasures are found. At the feet of Jesus. And so we need to get to that place to where we see Jesus for who he is, when we see Jesus for what he has done, we look at it and we see Jesus before eternity passed, completely existent, the creator of all things. He hung the stars into existence. He, he painted the skies. He dug the valleys. He formed the mountains and he, he painted the skies and the constant expanse of the universe only serves to declare his glory. And it still was not enough to capture our attentions nor ransom our souls. If you look today as you drive, the clouds are shouting at you, the glory of God. The trees are lifting their branches at the glory of God. And it was not enough to capture our attention. And so God in Christ sent his son Jesus to live a, a humble life, to be born of a poor single mom in ancient Palestine in a place in a barn the size of a parking stall. God humbled himself to enter into his own creation, to live a perfect life, to, to live the life we never could. He died a heinous death, the one that we deserved because sin deserves a penalty of death. And so God stood at the edge of the universe and said, I'm going to do something about that. He stepped in. He died the death that we deserve. He gives us the life we could never earn. This is Jesus. And as through his death, the burial, and resurrection, he sends the Holy Spirit to empower us, to live inside of us, to baptize us in the Spirit. And that is the only way we can overcome our sin. Amen. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so all of this rests on Jesus. That Jesus saves, that Jesus serves. What gospel does this? What God says this? No idol made by hands serves you. No God seeks you. No other gospel saves you. What God does this? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so, who do we worship? Someone or something or the someone who created everything. We worship Jesus. In conclusion, I have one last question for you. As we call the band forward, my last question is, how is your worship? How is your worship? Do you worship Jesus or someone or something? What is in the position of glory and sacrifice in your life? If you're not a Christian today, I understand, I've been in that place. I get it. But brother, I would beg of you. Friends, I would plead with you to lay it down, to give your life to Jesus. Only thing he asks from you is your worst. 
The only thing he wants from you is your sin. Give him your worst and he will give you his best. He will give you himself. He will give you a new life. Lay your old one down and trust in him for the forgiveness and salvation of your sins. And for the Christian in the room, maybe you're thinking right now, you're thinking, man, I got a long way to go. Me too. And we can travel as friends. We got a long way to go. Following Jesus is about always submitting your life under his lordship. You're going to be 80 and you're going to think, God, seriously? What joyful life this is. But also, it's a constant daily laying down as a living sacrifice before him. So I want you today, if you're a Christian and you got some things that God's working on you in, I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. That our elders would pray for you. And that they would listen to you. That they would go with you to the Father. And then I want you to worship with us by receiving communion from Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And as you receive that communion, you're remembering the sacrifice that he has made through his death, burial, and resurrection. So we'll receive communion. And I want you to stand and worship through songs. Now, we don't only worship through singing, but it sure is a means of worship. So we want you to worship and stand with us as we sing, as we give praise, give glory to the Father. Then we invite you to worship through your giving of your tithes and your offerings. It's a sign to know that Jesus saves and that through your giving, he will use that as an opportunity to save others. So again, I, I want to invite you forward to come and receive prayer from our praying elders if there's something that God is working on you in. And I guess I have one last question for you. Like a good preacher, I can never land the plane. One last question is, will you worship with me? Will you worship with me? The good news is that God has called us to him alone, but not to be alone. The good news is that God has called us to worship together. Amen? Amen. Stand with us. Let's worship. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 1030 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.